Welcome back for another serving of Dolpin Dreams. As always, I'm your host, Maddie Limerick. Before I jump in, I just wanted to say a few words. We are living in truly unprecedented times, and while this is being prepped for release, protests are being held around the world in response to police brutality and the slaughtering of the African-American community by those police. We stand with Black Lives Matter. We support the Black community and the Black trans community who are also fighting a never-ending battle against being murdered in the streets just for existing. We will be making a donation as well as donating all of our Patreon subscriptions for the months of June and July to several Black Lives Matter and protest bail funds to help show our support. I just want to encourage all of you to get up every day and do something that will help. Go to a protest, give money, take water, snacks, and medical supplies to any groups working on the front lines with protesters. Check in with your friends who are people of color. What is happening will take a huge toll mentally on everyone, and it's important that you show your support. I encourage you all to find ways to help in this fight, because your silence is ensuring more countless deaths. At this moment, I would like to take a moment of silence in the memory of George Floyd, Ahmaud Arbery, Brianna Taylor, and the countless number of trans people of color who've been taken away too soon due to ignorance and brutality from people who are supposed to protect. Now back to the show. Today we dive into our first Pixar film, and it's the most recent film to date that we've covered, but then when our guest pitched it, I just had to say yes. Coco is the vibrant musical following 12-year-old Miguel, whose passion for music is forbidden by his family. Miguel struggles to uncover the story about his mysterious great-grandfather, whose picture is being left off his family's ofrenda. This leads him to the land of the dead and shows him how important family truly is. The film that would become Coco was first pitched in 2010 around the release of Toy Story 3 by director Lee Ulrich. The story was originally sold as an American child learning about his Mexican heritage while grappling with the death of his mother. Guess it wouldn't be a Pixar movie without a dead mom, right? <laughs> It was decided that this wouldn't work and lack the authenticity because at the time, not a single person on the creative team was from Mexico. Again, what a Disney sentence. They wanted to show a real culture and not just a cherry-picked one. The team from Pixar would take many, many trips to Mexico to help build these characters and fully submerge themselves into the culture, the stories, and the folk art. And they would pull from the history with the bright colors associated with Dia de los Muertos. Ultimately, the film also pulled really interesting storytelling and visual inspirations from Hayao Miyazaki's Spirited Away and Howl's Movie Castle and even the action flick John Wick. The casting of this film ultimately became very important, since we know the legacy of Disney and the film industry as a whole has with casting white people as people of color in animated pictures. Coco would become the first ever motion picture, not animated picture, motion picture, with a nine-figure budget to feature an all-Latino cast, with a cost roughly about $200 million. 
In 2016, the voice cast was announced and it was absolutely sensational. And the animators used footage of these actors themselves to help bring these characters to life and make them as lifelike as possible. Now I know what you're thinking. John Ratzenberger is in every Pixar film, right? But he isn't Latino. It was important to Unkirk to not break the tradition, so Ratzenberger was given a small role with only a single line, and that's all he's in the film, but he's still there. Benjamin Bratt, who voiced De La Cruz, was moved when he realized that Disney Pixar wanted to make a story about Latin culture. On the advice of the filmmakers, Bratt watched videos of the equivalent of Mexican actors, including Jorge Negrete and Pedro Infante. Bratt found the character similar to his father in physical appearance with swagger and confidence and worked in the film as a tribute to him. The character Mama Imelda's voice was provided by Alana Ubach. Ubach felt the film is giving respect to one quality that all Latin families across the universe do have in common, and that is giving respect and prioritizing the importance of family. Mama Amelda's voice was influenced by Urbach's Tia Flora, and who had profound influence in her life. And so she felt that her Tia was the family's matriarch and she dedicated the film to her. And when they eventually found their lead in Anthony Gonzalez as Miguel, they knew he could sing. And so they totally changed the character from just being a guitarist to being a singer as well. As production was rolling forward, the animation department had difficulty animating the skeletal skittisons of the world of the dead because they didn't have muscles like their living counterparts, so it was really difficult to make them move in a lifelike and believable way. Pixar wanted to have as much contrast between the land of the living and the land of the dead, and many techniques were used to differentiate the worlds. Color was one of them. Given the holiday and the iconography, Pixar knew the Land of the Dead had to be a visually vibrant and colorful place, so they deliberately designed Santa Cilia to be more muted, said Unkirk. Uh, according to Harley Jessup, the film's production designer, Santa Cilia is based on real Mexican villages as the production team stayed grounded in reality for the Land of the Living. Chris Bernardi, the film's set supervisor, said the town was made small so Miguel could feel confined. And Burt Barry, the film's art director, said the aged building materials were used in order to depict Santa Cecilia as an older, charming city. Coco marks the first musical for Pixar, with songs by Michael Giancha, Jermaine Franco, Adrian Molina, and Bobby and Kristen Lopez. You can thank Bobby and Kristen for hearing Let It Go everywhere you've gone since 2003, since Frozen debuted in theaters. But Bobby is also the genius behind the score for the musicals Have a New Q, Book of Mormon, and Frozen on Broadway. And the original song, Remember Me, in addition to making me sob uncontrollably, won the Oscar for Best Original Song. Much like projects that Bobby and Kristen have worked on before. It's not their fault. You should listen to all the cut songs from both Coco and Frozen. They are really awesome. The story changed many, many times and even included one version where Miguel's family was cursed so they have to sing instead of talk. As sometimes happens, Coco was released in an oversaturated market of November-December blockbusters like Justice League, The Last Jedi, The Star, Ferdinand, and Thor Ragnarok. 
but the company's $200 million investment saw massive returns to the tune of $807 million worldwide in theatrical releases, and an additional $78 million in home video releases, and is the 20th highest grossing animated film at the time of this episode's release. It was also the biggest animated release in Mexico, and as of November of 2019, the highest grossing film ever released in Mexico. More importantly, it was universally praised by critics and fans alike, and has a 97% critic rating on Rotten Tomatoes. But as many Disney movies do, it contained content that needed to be censored out of the Chinese market, but when it was screened and they saw how good the film was, it was given a pass and allowed to show unedited. This would also mark the first Pixar film since Toy Story that was not accompanied by a Pixar short. Instead, it was presented with a 20-minute mini-movie called Olaf's Frozen Adventure, which follows Olaf around Arendelle, finding out the meaning of this special time of year. But this short kept many people from seeing the film, and made an already long animated feature even longer. So after a lot of fan outcry online, it was pulled from Coco two weeks after its initial release. Like many Disney films, this one was not without controversy. The original working title of the movie was Dia de los Muertos, and shortly after the movie's announcement at D23 in 2013, Disney attempted to copyright and trademark the title, which would also copyright the use of that word, which is the title of the actual holiday. There is a huge amount of backlash online, as you can expect from the Mexican-American community, pinning Mickey as Muerto Mouse who is coming to steal and profit from your culture. I mean, are we really that off? A week later, the trademark was pulled and the name of the movie was changed. Cartoonist Leo Al Alcres was brought on after being a large voice of dissent and making this really great skeletal Mickey Mouse art that I'll share on our social media. Um, he was also brought on with playwright Octavio Salas and former CEO of the Mexican Heritage Court, Marcela Davis Aviles, to be cultural consultants. This, I believe, points right back to uh, the original statement that on that original film team, there was no people from Mexico and no one to actually voice if they were being consistent with heritage and culture and not being appropriate. Coco is available now on Disney Plus to stream in English as well as fully produced Spanish. We'll be right back after this. Hello, my name is Hans Martin Jr., your real movie critic. If you enjoy discussing upcoming movie news, looking at new trailers, and reviewing the year's hottest movies, then tune in to... Hey, 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 Hans, What? Are you doing the promo without me? Uh, yeah, I am. How come? Because everyone knows I'm the better host of this podcast. Oh, it's like that, huh? You think you can review movies better than me. Uh, I don't think I can. I know. Oh, we'll see about that. This is... The Real Movie Critic. Versus... The Cine Guy. Mondays only at CertainPOV.com. Or wherever you listen to your podcast. We're also on Spotify and iTunes. You're going down, critic. Bring it on, guy. (laughs) 
Welcome back, dreamers. Today is a first for Dole Whip and Dreams. I have two amazing guests with me today. Join me in welcoming the host of one of my favorite Disney podcasts, Pod of Your World, Kurt and Rob. Guys, welcome so much to the show. What's going on? How Thanks for doing? having us. Of course. So why don't you uh, both tell the listeners a little bit about home, about yourself, and kind of what role Disney has played in your lives to this point? I know that's a big question. I know. I'm oh, like, boy. Kurt, do you want to start or do you want me to start? Sure. So uh, we are recording from uh, like the Boston area, and we actually work together. That's how we met. Um, as far as Disney goes, it's always been a part of my life. I, I grew up uh, in the 90s and like in the Renaissance era of Disney. So all the, the classics, The Lion King, Aladdin, Beauty and the Beast, The Little Mermaid, uh, were all a big part of my life growing up. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, yeah, that's like me and Kurt. That's our bond is from Disney movies. Like, like, like Kurt said, we work together. So we, we chat it, uh, like we ch- talk about Disney all the time. We're like, Hey, let's do this for real. Let's have a Disney podcast. So like, but we're very different in that sense that Kurt's a straight man and I'm a gay man. So we have very <laughs> different perspectives on things sometimes. And the things that I pull out of Disney movies are the things that I live for are completely different things that he doesn't care about at all. Like, what are the princesses wearing or like this mm-hmm. is a bad fashion moment or mm-hmm. why did Elsa put her hair down in Frozen 3? Like Things I would living. never notice. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, um, but we also agree on like the music and all like the styling and the art of it. And we, I mean, we're just big kids at heart and like, mm-hmm. I mean, I still love to see Disney movies today. So yeah. And with Disney plus, it's been great timing for us to rewatch some of these movies mm-hmm. and, kind of um, analyze them from an adult perspective and point out plot holes and things like that that we might not have picked up on as a little kid. Yeah. Um, oh, absolutely. And we still absolutely appreciate them for, for what they are. They're mm-hmm. a work of art. Yeah. And part of our podcast, too, is that, like, we love Disney and, like, we've grown up with Disney mm-hmm. and, like, there's films that we've seen over and over again. But there's also things that, like, we've seen – uh, 25 years ago when we were kids and we're kind of like watching them now again. And we're like, wait, that Siamese cat song in Little Lady in the Tramp <laughs> is pretty racist. You know what I mean? So like you're seeing them like with fresh eyes now and not like how you remembered it as a kid or uh, just like, like I said, there's movies that I've seen like Toy Story I've seen recently or like movies that like are on TV all the time. And then so it's kind of having the podcast is really um, exciting to kind of go back and like oh my God, we watched this as kids. This is so bad. Or like, this is, I forgot about this or whatever it is. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's, and it's been honestly, uh, when I was kind of bringing up this uh, podcast uh, late last spring, they had just started announcing Disney plus and we knew it was like, we knew it was coming. There was no uh, street date. And I went, you know what? I think this is a good time to start a movie podcast because then they're all going to be online and people are going to want to rewatch them. And so I think, yeah, I think Disney plus has really stepped up the game in so many ways because I think there's nothing, there's no stronger selling tool right now than nostalgia. Mm -hmm. And so Disney, especially the um, Renaissance era movies are so much nostalgia for so many people that, which is also why they're like, Oh, let's remake them as live action films uh, for, for good or bad, for good or bad. Um, but I'm excited about the movie we're talking about today. Um, it's the most recent film that we're doing on the podcast as of now, and it's our first Pixar, but I 
think this one is one of the most special that we could talk about today. You guys, well, everybody knows already. We're talking about Coco. So you guys pitched me Coco. Talk about why Coco. I mean, we just like absolutely love it. It's probably, I would say, and this is like so recent, recency bias, like it's so new, but like it's one of my favorites. So, mm-hmm. and it's one of those movies that I feel like there's not one thing in it that I don't like. It's just right. from start to finish, it's just, it's so well done. And it's like a different story being told. And I also like it just because it's Pixar trying their hand at being a little bit of a musical. And I think that mm-hmm. they broke mm-hmm. outside of their box. And that's kind of what I like about it. Yeah, sure. absolutely. Yeah, I think it's incredibly powerful. And the timing uh, with, you know, everything going on in the world mm-hmm. is uh, mm-hmm. fantastic with borders and uh, things mm-hmm. like that. Not to get too political. But um, oh it's, no, get political! Get political! <laughs> it's, a, it's a fantastic <laughs> film. I'm a musician. I've I've played yeah. guitar for most of my life, and uh, I relate to it in a lot of ways. I didn't have to hide the fact that I was playing guitar and liked music mm-hmm. growing up. But um, yeah, it's it's a great film. Yeah, I, you know, this came out when MoviePass was at its heyday. And so I got to admit, I think I watched this movie about 10 times in theaters. Um, One, because there's something so cathartic. I mean, we all, I think adults uh, don't like to give ourselves permission to cry or, or things or really feel those cathartic emotions. But we're getting to a point where people are like, no, a good cry is part of self-care and self-care is important. And so I think like it is just it was I was not prepared the first time I saw this for the amount of emotion I was going to feel. Um, Because I love, you know, early on it was getting a lot of rag for being like, oh, it looks a lot like The Book of Life, which was a movie from several years before, not by Disney Mm -hmm. um, and things, which, but I loved that movie. And so, you know, I took, I took Spanish in high school like most kids did, but I was always, uh, being a theater artist, I was always so engrossed in the visual aspect of of Mexican culture and Mexican life and and just art and richness uh, of the visuals. And so for me, that's what drew me to this movie. It's the same thing that drew me to Book of Life. And so I didn't mind that they had tonally something that seemed different, uh, you know, similar. But it's also when white people go, oh, do we need to do those Huertos movies? I was like, yes, let's give us lots. Let's give us lots. Because we've we've had how many versions of Christmas Carol? I think we could do a couple more. <laughs> a couple more of these. Um but I got to tell you, I was not prepared for the animal guttural noises that were going to come out of my <laughs> body <laughs> during this movie because I cried a little bit throughout. But then like just jumping, you know, I, I'm assuming everyone has seen it or you have at least watched it before you listen to the podcast today. Um, but uh, the Mama Coco Miguel bit at the end with Remember Me, I... Brutal. I, I can't. I can't. It's I, so sad. But, but what was so nice is I I was not alone in the theater. It was a very packed theater. I went on a Thanksgiving day. It came out like two days before. But like every grown adult in that theater was having the exact same reaction I was. Mm-hmm. And um, for me, I think a lot of this movie really connects in the same way of like uh, In the Heights, uh, which is the Lin-Manuel Miranda musical. Movie's coming out this summer. Yeah. Um, but it's the, that idea of family and connection. And like as a queer person, I have, I think, think sometimes a little bit of a different connection to family this idea of chosen family versus blood family, but like mm-hmm. this idea of family and connection was just so stirring and so moving mm-hmm. uh, to me at the end of the day that like that thematically, I never f- 
there's always family and there's always that connection in a Disney movie, but just showing the richness of Bond and showing it beyond into a non-religious afterlife, I think was a really important aspect of this Mm -hmm. movie. I think that's a good point. Sorry, I'm kind of, I feel like I'm jumping no, go in for it. to jump in. Uh, I think <laughs> what is beautiful about Coco is that, of course, it's about family and like the very, very much in the beginning of, of the movie, um, it's about how the his current abuela runs the house the same way her yeah. mother ran it, in the same way that her mother ran it, and then mm-hmm. and like generational, they 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 follow tradition. But it's very much about family and about tradition and, and knowing where you came from. But it's also about change and how the young mm-hmm. gener- younger generations can bring change to even their family. Or and they they were so negative towards music and they, mm-hmm. and that could be like relatable to anything. You know, like you said, as a queer person, like it could just be your sexuality and coming out to your family who's never had to deal with that before. And like now, this is something new that we didn't think that we accepted, but. It's actually mm-hmm. not that bad after all. So there's yeah. like there's relatability there, whether it's music oh, or yeah. it's art or it's you know we have a line of uh, kids that went to this college, but now we're going to go to this college mm-hmm. instead. You know, th- people can relate to that just in mm-hmm. general with not doing exactly what their family wants. Um, and yeah. Miguel kind of he seizes his moment and he goes for it and he nice yes nice reference I like that. Um, so yeah. <laughs> Sorry, like you now you threw me off. Um, but he he goes for it and he changes his family's mind against like mm-hmm. the most resistance he could possibly face too, which is yeah, um, what I love about Coco. Mm-hmm. It's very yeah. powerful in the sense that you kind of have to decide who you want to be in life because at the end of the day, people are remembering you for mm-hmm. that person. So um, yeah. if you're forgotten, you're you're gone pretty much yeah that got me because there's always a caveat in a disney movie and i went okay so when dead people are dead and there's always a dead parent in a disney movie (laughs) and we go to the land of the dead what happens Mm -hmm. and then they you know uh, it was one of those i was like what's rupaul gonna pull out this time um (laughs) but but it was you know it was in this time when they were like oh when you're forgotten and you're not on someone's ofrenda that like you're gone. Like you, yeah. you shrivel up. And I was yeah. like, Oh no. Oh no. <laughs> um, it's like being canceled. But I think yeah, oh, oh, <laughs> oh, it's that, that really, that kind of gutted me. Um, and I like that you bring up that this was Pixar's first attempt at a musical mm-hmm. because, um, Disney's kind of really been following that traditional path of like traditional musicals in a way that, you know, there might not be 20 songs in a, in a movie, but they use the songs in the same way that you do with a Broadway musical where the mm-hmm. songs are kind of progress the plot. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I, I like to attribute a lot of that to Alan Macon and Stephen Schwartz doing so much of the Renaissance. Um, but in this Bobby and Kristen Lopez, who are Kristen Lopez, who did frozen mm-hmm. uh, and then did this, which I was shocked um, that they did this yeah. um, as well. But, um, you know, uh, tonally, they're such smart writers because, you know, Bobby wrote Book of Mormon and Avenue Q. And so none of his things are always quite similar, but they've got that same heart. But the score in this, well, at moments, it's not music like, you know, into the unknown coming out of the plot. Uh The music is still so enriching to the plot of the story. And it's so smart um, and really 
captures that the culture and kind of the the beauty of the the folk music um and i think really it's one of my favorite aspects of this movie i can't i mean the music is obviously the most important part because it is the miguel is pursuing music and the music is uh you know music is his heart i believe is a lyric that he uses at one point and so i think god just the score to this the well the combination of the score and the music is just so good and um mm-hmm. also i think you know i think it's a uh, you know, we can't address a lot of what Disney's done through their legacy without talking about the good and the bad. Uh-huh. And I think, despite Disney being a capitalist monolith, you know, <laughs> um, you know even in inter- there's you, there can be no ethical co- uh, consumption of entertainment. I feel with you know, and then the way that it is. But I think this is one of many steps Disney has made to make good for their shitty racist past. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, and Absolutely. so I think I, between, I mean, just an all Latinx cast and um, writers and everything, like, it's just, it's so on the nose in so many ways. Yes. It's, it's good that it, it's happening. Like, it's good that mm-hmm. in the Disney, like, um, and not this transcends just throughout, like, this through Marvel and um, Star Wars and all mm-hmm. everything that they're doing as a company, be, uh, being, like, the biggest producer of media like in just mm-hmm. in america or maybe even the world they have to set the example for everybody else so yeah. recently they've been casting you know more minorities making more roles for minorities telling more stories about minorities um i heard that in Oddward they're gonna have the first queer character so like we're yeah. getting we're we're getting there i mean it's not as fast as we want it to be i mm-hmm. mean but it's gonna take time you know like um, and we've come a long way, even in like 10 years or 15, like 20 yeah, years, I yeah. feel like you watch movies and you're like, wow, that was pretty cringy. Like, yes, it's, <laughs> yeah, we're getting there. It's just a matter of time now. And to go back to the music that you mentioned too. Yeah. I, I think it's incredible that Coco, a, a movie about music doesn't really have much music in it as far as mm-hmm. a diverse lineup of songs mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. has an extremely powerful soundtrack mm-hmm. and yeah. having these different emotional versions of remember me throughout the film yeah. is uh, so effective and it shows you like the interpretation of like one song mm-hmm. by different people it's just yeah. beautiful like mm-hmm. they tell the story of music and i feel like the the all the performances in coco matter if that makes any mm-hmm. sense mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. in a lot of the films like some of the songs seem like they could be almost like filler or like they don't really need to be there. Yeah. Um, yeah. But in Coco, like the first time that Miguel performs, like he performs Un Poco Loco in a competition in front of all those people, like the first time. And just, and then like when Mommy Melda sings at the end, you know, like, oh, wait, mm-hmm. she's singing, but she hates music. But she gives mm-hmm. this like amazing performance yep. with the man that killed her man. And like, there's just so <laughs> yeah. many layers. I'm like, this movie, it's like a soap opera, but it's like, there's so mm-hmm. many layers to the story and the music just adds to it yep. and the drama. And yeah. just like, even like silly songs, like, Juanita or whatever uh, was it everybody knows yeah. Juanita and like and like yeah. you mentioned before like when you're forgotten like they tell that story in that sense like the music is so brilliantly placed in this movie and it's yep. just mm-hmm. like you said there's not a lot of it but when it's used it's used so correctly and mm-hmm. like you want yeah. more and um and I yeah. think that's what you want out of a Disney movie or any movie that you want more like I would take a Coco 2 or 3 or 4 because I just love that <laughs> oh movie. yeah 
Oh, well, when they announced that they would be doing the Coco layover, the mariachi in Epcot in Disneyland, I was both like, yes, 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 yes. I, well, and we went and like, I, you know, the mariachi is normally really beautiful and it's fun to have that kind of moment in Epcot or over in California Adventure. Um, because they're, you know, they're two very different tones, um, of parks. But when, you know, even when they didn't have the Miguel puppet out, it was still really beautiful to hear like these insanely talented artists um recreating this music that is you know written in the performance style that they normally perform in and and have that and it's so lovely and i'm so happy it's coming back uh again this this year um you know despite chapek not liking entertainment in the parks now that he is the head of the company um (laughs) that's another conversation for another time um but yeah i think it's i think it's just so I, I mean, I immediately went out and was like, well, let's listen to the Coco soundtrack all week, shall we? Let's, let's just do it. Yeah. And I think, and, and the performers they chose were lovely. And the boy who plays Miguel is so wonderful and just, uh, kind of heartwarming in his, uh, cause he has a wonderful voice, but it's so childlike still. And, um, he has this amazing, like you can hear hope and optimism in his voice, which I think is just so, incredibly powerful for the the movie but also it's beautiful just that optimism that i think we lose in the world today um especially when he's going up against mama amelda and they so quickly and you know it's funny she's so stern that in all the promotional stuff ahead of time i thought she was going to be the villain oh um well, like I figured, I did. I didn't actually think Ernesto Cruz was going to play a huge part in the, the story. Yeah. Um, and then she's just very stern and very put together looking, and without knowing much about the story outside of before I saw the movie, I was mm-hmm. like, oh, I feel like she's going to be kind of the uh, the antagonist a little bit. Yeah. Um, yeah. Just by the character she, design. Just by the character design, but she's not, and she has this. They did this great thing where keeping the eyes inside of the skull head design Mm -hmm. really still let us have so much emotion from Mm -hmm. each of the characters. And they were still broad in the way that only Disney has ever known how to do. Cause like while DreamWorks does really great work and like how to train your dragons saga is one of my favorite. Mm -hmm. There's something that Disney animators, it is, it is a magic. It is a glimmer. I don't know how to explain it, but I think everybody knows what I'm talking about. And there's just a magic in how these, but the life that's behind the eyes of all of these characters, despite being dead, um, that I think is just so beautiful to the story. Cause like mama Amelda, when she starts singing the first time, it is, you see so much hurt. Mm-hmm. You see so much emotion that I think is just beautiful and really lends to the dynamicness of the, the kind of the who's deceiving who and why people are making what choices they are because she you can tell it killed her to get rid of music it absolutely murdered her um but it's still such a huge part of that story and that performance in particular um so my husband is from el salvador so he's Mm -hmm. um, from latin american background and um we actually took um his nephew to see Coco back then. And he's like mm-hmm. around, he was like around Miguel's age. So it's, it's kind of like, oh, which was kind of like special to have like a Latin American, like child on screen for you to see. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like have that yeah. representation, but also just in general, like when you mentioned the book of life earlier and, mm-hmm. um, mm-hmm. 
when Kogo came out, I was not super excited because I was like, it seems like they just made this movie. And then when I saw it, I was mm-hmm. like, I was so wrong to ever question this movie because this is one of the yep. greatest movies that Disney's ever made. I agree. Um, yep. But I love the Book of Life, and I'm glad that they both exist in this in this world. Um, but mm-hmm. I I was so wrong in that sense that I was like, I should yeah. be more open minded for what I see. Um, but to bring it back to the performance with Mommy Melda, that song it, La Rona, uh, La Llorona she, she's, it's, it translates to like the crying woman, so it's, that song mm-hmm. is basically mm-hmm. her just weeping and crying, and like you said it's her loss of music, that all these years she mm-hmm. just gave music up because she was holding a grudge, and her willingness to mm-hmm. not be so stubborn and, and it's kind of funny that she, her change in the movie changed the rest of the family's yes. mindset. Yeah. And her yeah. her stubbornness was also the story that is was the reason why the rest of the family was stubborn. So it's right. kind yeah. of in order for the for the family to change, Mommy Melda needed to change. And I think that that's mm-hmm. such a beautiful story tell uh, uh, storyline that they told in Coco. Um mm-hmm. so it's kind of she's kind of like a side character, but she's kind of holding the whole story together. Like her Yeah. Um so I think I love that scene. Yeah, and I can absolutely yeah. see how you thought she would have become the villain at the end of the movie because she is the villain at the beginning mm-hmm. of the movie. She's the thing that's keeping him from mm-hmm. playing music, and you don't know why. Yeah. And um, Ernesto being a twist villain is actually fantastic. They do a great job with that. Oh, yeah. And it, it sort of yeah. parallels um, up where the yeah. um, the hero, the guy that they're looking up to the whole time, is actually the villain of the film, mm-hmm. and they, they mm-hmm. do a great job with that. And it's a very Pixar thing. Yeah. Yes. They love twist villains. They live. We actually yes, just, we recorded another episode today. Yeah. And um, we were talking about Princess and the Frog. And. Um, oh, yes. Uh, That's a good one. Yes. We're <laughs> so excited for that because we, I mean, we love that movie. Um, and we were talking about how Dr. Facilier is just the villain up front and you know he is like mm-hmm. we're like now mm-hmm. disney and pixar they live for a twist villain so they just love the twist mm-hmm. um like you mentioned oh, yeah. rupaul earlier like just like what are we gonna do this season we're gonna we're gonna do a twist but with princess and the fraud they're like no here's the villain we're showing you right up front and like, there was kind of a, mm-hmm. a relief to that but pixar does a great job with a twist villain for sure yeah. well it's because we're also seeing that move towards me there doesn't always need to be like a hugely evident villain Mm-hmm. Um, it's, it's what I, it's, you know, it's the, it's the Wreck-It Ralph of it all. It's the sometimes <laughs> we're our own, we're our own worst undoing. Yeah. Um, or, you know, in, in Inside Out, which I, I thought I was kind of like, not like at all. I was like, oh, it'll be cute. I'll see anything with Amy Poehler. Mm-hmm. Um, but then that idea that like, there's no actual central villain to it other than ourselves. And mm-hmm. sometimes we we get in our own way so much that I was like, oh, shit, Pixar, y'all just read me for Phil. <laughs> okay, all right. I just hurt my own damn feelings so hard. <laughs> um, but, yeah, I think this way, and even though, like, now that I've watched, you know, I've watched it several many times now, it's it's that it's like, well, obviously Ernesto Cruz is the villain from the beginning, yes. obviously. But, yeah. it's it, you know, it's also, it's it's that idea of, like, what we're willing to do for fame and things, which is an old, 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 old plot device that Disney and everybody else has used. But I think it's beautiful in this, this story, um, 
because you know it is it is telling several generations worth of stories and how one moment in one generation can affect especially because from mama melda it's not even that she lost the love of her life but her other love which was music so her heart died twice right. in those moments and so that's you know it's i i imagine if i had to completely give up music because it's always been where for, you know, church, marching band, musical, you know, being a musical theater performer and then working in theater and just being, having so many friends who are amazing musicians and just that idea of music had to be taken away from me. I'd, I, I die. I don't, you know, yeah. there's, <laughs> it, it is just a true spark of life. And there's just so much, the visuals like now Pixar set the standard for kind of visual storytelling because Pixar helped Disney, you know, Pixar developed technology that was used as far back as rescuers down under. Um, and so like this idea that Pixar has always kind of been in the forefront of the technology Disney's been able to push and use, mm -hmm. but some of the visuals in this movie are over the top, even for Disney in such the most beautiful ways. Like the first time Miguel arrives in the, the land of the dead and you're just seeing the, just sky, the weird skyscraper buildings and the structure that doesn't seem to work, but it holds everything up. Mm -hmm. Um, and the neon alabrije and all of these things that are just so beautiful. I just, the visuals for me, I think just, so it was so weird kind of seeing this and then going back to Toy Story 4, which was beautiful. Um, and, you know, it's such a classic Pixar way, but this is like next level animation for yeah, me that I yeah. think is just beautiful. The world building in that movie is just gorgeous. Like the land of oh. the dead, it's just like, in that sense, the book of life is shook. Like that. Yeah. Oh, yes. <laughs> like, I'm sorry, the book of life is great, but it's like Disney did it better. Like, I'm just right. like. They did. They came for their wig. They were like, okay, you did it first, but we're Pixar, so sit down. Step aside. Yeah, yeah like, yeah, we, we got aside, it. Yeah. yeah, we got it. Yeah. Well, and I mean, and that's such a Disney thing, because they, yeah. they, if you've got resources, I mean, nobody else would have made this film. Because if we're looking at the pure money, like, I was shocked when I pulled up the Wikipedia um, and saw... Because I've been going through the Disney Renaissance on a lot of those things, where like thirty million dollars, yeah. forty million dollars for the most expensive. This was a hundred and seventy-five million dollars to make this movie. Wow! Wow! I don't think anybody, nobody but Disney would have put that amount of resources into. I hate to say it, into a non-white story. You're right, or a non-specific story, and it's be you know for because even like How to Train Your Dragon, it's big, it's beautiful, but that is intrinsically a very white story and a very right. you know it's it's Scandinavian, it's it's in, um, the, from the white Europe, but like this was such a, a jump. Yeah. that they didn't have to take, and I'm glad they did. Mm -hmm. I mean, and it made $800 million, mm -hmm. which is, I mean, it was actually only the 11th highest grossing <laughs> film. It was pretty good. Yeah, it was okay. You know, I would love to have humble. 807. <laughs> humble. She's humble. Yes. Um, I'd love, you know, 800 million just kicking around. It'd be fine. Um <laughs> But, you know, and especially and you look at, like, movie money today compared to, like, movie money. Uh, you know, I did an Aristocats episode that uh, it's kind of premiered by the time we um, uh, uh, this comes out. But, nice. like, putting the money they made for that in modern money, they made over a billion and a half dollars on wow. Aristocats, which is so funny to think wow. about um, in today money. Um, oh. But, like, this is – like, it's so 1970s money to today money yeah. would be about – but even then it was it – was, 
a couple million, a couple hundred million dollars they made off of it, which was huge. Mm-hmm. Um, but like this, taking the leap, I think is so important. And honestly, seeing the money that came out of that is very, very important, especially because like a couple months later we had Black Panther. So like, which also broke box office records and showed that like a non-white superhero movie was going to do things that they didn't expect. Um, This was a a big play year for Disney that I think really paid off for them. Yeah. And and to, I'm sorry uh, to go back again, like I said, like Disney, they have to set the example, but they're giving the Mm -hmm. opportunities. But the sad part is, is I feel like when you're given this opportunity, you have to absolutely kill it. Because then you're not, yep. gonna, you might not get that opportunity again. Um, yeah. So the, they'll make 45 white princess movies because they know that it sells mm-hmm. and they're just going to give it the opportunity. Mm-hmm. But to make a movie, like you said, Coco is a little bit of a risk in the sense of like mm-hmm. most audiences aren't going to accept it. And then it kills it and you're like, what now? You know what I mean? Like what else can we do? <laughs> yeah. We can do Black Panther. We can have a woman lead Star Wars. We can, ha- yep. we can do all of these things. Um we can have Angelina Jolie be the biggest star and like the Eternals or like all these other things that they're, they're doing. Um, like Angelina Jolie is going to be a star of a Marvel movie. Like that's crazy. You know, like it's just yeah. the things, the decisions that Disney's making are just very refreshing. And it's not mm-hmm. just this, like they could make 14 Frozen movies if they wanted mm-hmm. to. They, they could just give us a new Frozen. And they might. <laughs> and they might. But they are doing these other projects. Um, mm-hmm. There's a, a new one that's coming out soon. I can't remember the name. Soul. Soul. No, it's um. Oh, um. Yeah, it's the dragon one. Right. Uh, it's, I forget what it's, it's called. There's going to be a new like Asian one. Oh yes, 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 yes. Um, I forget what it's called, but that's coming out soon too. So like they are, it's good that they're telling these stories, but it's going to push other studios mm-hmm. to tell these stories too, um, mm-hmm. which I live for for sure. So. Well, and and kind of talking about it too, we're literally I think we're about two weeks away from Mulan coming out the live action, yep. which looks awesome because they made it a genre film they without making like a shitty 1960s kung fu movie they've like leaned into the aspects of the legend of mulan like because this week of course the articles online have been that uh shang was cut for me too aspects for being uh you know having the power over her as her you know her superior officer and things but i was also like shang's not in the original story and they're going back closer to the original story okay and there could still be another love interest slash Mulan doesn't need a love interest. She exactly. was the first princess that I went, girl doesn't need a love interest. Yeah. Shang is a bisexual icon and we love him. Yeah, he, is. him. He, he is. He is fine. <laughs> I, I was a little sad that he wasn't in the film. But, uh, you know, it's also like why Mushu can't be, why Mushu shouldn't be in the film. Yeah. You know, as, as funny and wonderful as Eddie Murphy was at the time, I don't think you can do Mushu and not be painfully problematic. Yeah. Um, yep. And but also like that story doesn't need that. Mulan doesn't need those tricks. She doesn't need those things. I mean, and so the pol- politics of the actress outside of it. I know that's been a lot for a lot of people. But like Disney then went cool. We've kind of fucked up these other live actions, but let's treat this one as separate and let's lean into it as just the legend and let's tell the legend right. and the story and let's develop it, which I think is cool. And also, it's again, it's showing that it. The formula doesn't always have to be the formula, and they can deviate some. And even if people don't see it, the people who will see it are the people that need to see it. Mm-hmm. I think, so, like, I don't – go ahead. Sorry. I'm sorry. Uh, to to just chime in on the Mulan thing, I think that with these live actions, like, 
if they're gonna do this movie and you're gonna get another fifteen twenty dollars out of me to see a movie that I can mm-hmm. watch for six dollars a month on Disney Plus, give me yeah. some give me something new, you know Hell whether yeah. whether it's because it has to be more culture appropriate or whether they just let's just do Mulan a little bit different this time. Like I think that's what worked well with Maleficent that it's not Sleeping Beauty again; it's a different movie. Right, um, mm-hmm. and I think. But then the ones like I think Beauty and the Beast is like the closest to the the original, and I feel like it or suffers. Lion in that King sense. almost identical. Yeah. Identical is like that's like shot. For Minus shot. be prepared, right? Yeah. Which right. is maybe the best, maybe our favorite song in that movie. So yes. having that, yes, cut, we want. Yeah. Talk about queer icons. Talk about yeah. queer icons. Scar. He's, Scar. He is queer my icon. <laughs> sensational. Like, sensational news. Like that's my favorite part for sure. <laughs> he's yeah. He's so but. No more queer than Jafar. Jafar is. Oh, <laughs> he is. I mean, he's he's her. He's a woman. He is like straight up like. Gave case. Gave case. He's like Prince Ari. Like he's just like. I love it. Like, oh, man. Where are you rolling your R's all of a sudden? Like he was he was living for his moment <laughs> so there true. though. He got his power and he's like just like any other game. It was like move out of my way. Like I'm gonna see the, I'm gonna have a whole routine. I've been preparing this for months. Like they're after the house down. I live <laughs> for Jafar in that scene because he he seized his moment to go back to Coco. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. 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 Whether we agree nice with again. it or not, he went with it. <laughs> Yeah, you know, you know, power corrupts absolutely. Slash, why are gay people always the villains? But it's because we're the best villains. Yeah, I mean, RuPaul, the best villain of all. Sorry, don't come for me. It's it's but. bad. That, like, <laughs> I mean, I want some non-villainous queer characters, but I think we are good at being the villains, even the ones that aren't queer. Like, I feel like. Kurt knows us that Mother Gothel is like my favorite villain ever mm-hmm. because she's, oh, yeah. she's so relatable and the gays relate because they're like, we don't want to get old either. So <laughs> we're going to take the, we're going to take this girl and we're going to keep her trapped so we could stay young and pretty. Can I speak for straight people? Yeah. Yes. We, we don't want to yes. get old either. <laughs> yeah. No one wants to get old. <laughs> yeah, but we, we care Can about I speak we, for straight yeah. people. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not going to say any more than that because it, it's wanna a lot. St- <laughs> we want to stay pretty. Like that's the difference. Yeah. That's I mean, I, yeah, I, I will say I think everybody wants to stay pretty. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> yeah, you know, it's it's uh, yeah, it is it is that thing. But it's all you know, it's one of those things that watching the new live action. And this was I read an article when I was prepping for kind of our first episodes of there's something so wonderful about Jafar being as non-masculine as he is. And I'm and oh, my friends that are like, um, but he was kind of merry Jasmine. And I was like, girl do you know how many gay men have married women for mm-hmm. power money and safety yeah. like literally let's not even talk about how up till 1980 gay men or you know 90 that gay men still married women for pure safety like you know it's yeah but um it's what are you gonna say i was gonna say tom cruise but i didn't <laughs> oh, <laughs> oh, 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 yeah uh well that that's all that is another that is another kettle of fish here yeah uh that's <laughs> That's a different kind of tea. Um, (laughs) For sure. But it's, you know, I think it's one of those that I think uh, taking us back is like Disney still fucks up a lot. And despite being a, you know, a cast member and an avid lover of their, just what they do. You know, I think every time they do something good, they take a couple steps back and they'll do, do just something that's terrible. And you're like, okay, guys, we uh, we can still do better. Let's do better. <laughs> you know, it's like, you know, it's the the critique and onward that um, it's 
you know, Lena Waithe, who is amazing, um, and she she is a queer icon, but having her play like a Cyclops cop, um, you know, who's not especially attractive in the film and again mm-hmm. having queer people play police officers people already like really that's the queer representation the movie's not even out yet but yeah. you know, the gays always have something to say the yes. gays always have something <laughs> to say yeah, um, and you know the Mary, the Mary Sue has to have something to write about so <laughs> yeah. um, the way that I feel you know, but I th- sorry the way that I feel about no, that you're good, go, is go. that just like we're not all the, the way there so I mean not that we should like, accept the bare minimum but we should just be happy that we are getting changed. Like this is just the first step of many to come. So we get a queer yeah. character. We have a queer actress playing a queer character. We don't have Rami Malek playing a queer actor, a queer character and winning an Oscar. Like yeah. we are getting yeah. there. So, I mean, it's not going to happen overnight. So right. I, I celebrate all the strides that we make. Um, and I'm not going to criticize mm-hmm. them as we go was, there's always room to grow for sure. But when oh, I see yeah. something like that, I'm like, yes, let's celebrate it. Like it's, it's a new win. Like, Instead of looking at, like, what's not being done, like, it's good to look at what's being done at the same time because there's so much that's not being done that we're just going to drown ourselves. So I'm happy to see right. it. Yeah, looking um, at the progress. But I do. That's, that's sort of all you have to do is, like, yeah. sure, we, we haven't had as many strong female leads, and they're sort of working to address that. But when you look back at where we come from, like, Snow White, like, really? Like, that's that's not a good character. And then also, like, even the Aristocats, like, sure, it's older, but very stereotypical, like, female. Oh, yeah. Um, just, oh, yeah. Yeah, there's nothing special there. Mm-hmm. Right. Well, yeah, and that's, well, and I, you know, reading an interesting article the other day that a lot of my theater actress friends were share, uh, sharing, that they were like, I don't always need to be a strong female lead. I just want to have a good female character. Yes, right. <laughs> I just want to have a not shitty female character. But, we, you know, we do need, you know, I think it's one of those that we can still appreciate it, but go, mm, that's the decision you made. Okay, thank you. But let's let's keep growing. Let's keep, you know, uh, let, let's keep growing. Let's, let's yeah. keep doing better. And I think, I think when we look back, especially looking from like film studies and, and things, uh, Coco is going to be one of those standout moments of, of how we, we look at, um, a great version of representation and also that yeah. they like, they went in and they did their research and that's why the movie was so expensive because they spent so much time in Mexico. Mm-hmm. They spent so much time, um, learning about the music and the culture and all these things. And I'm at a university right now where um, the questions of cultural appropriation are constantly happening as artists and as theater artists and kind of what we put on stage and what is, you know, what is okay to teach our students. And it's an argument. I had a faculty member that put cultural appropriation happens. We just need to deal with it. And I went, I'm sorry, what, (laughs) what? Uh, And so, you know, the fact that we, Especially if you're living in a more liberal bubble um, or a more progressive bubble, you you keep going, oh, things are better than they are. But I think this is, uh, you know, again, not to get too far, but I think this is one of those shining examples that we're going to be able to look back on. And I would love to see, uh, you know, I'm not big for Disney sequels as good as frozen two was, mm-hmm. um, you know, I'm not, I would actually love to see a Coco two. I would much rather see this than cars four or toy story five. Like, frankly, mm-hmm. I would love a second Coco movie. Um, you know, especially like this idea of, you know, Miguel has a sibling at the end of the, the, that movie and is teaching them about the culture. Mm-hmm. And I think that's so, much of what you know it's not always 
as, as a queer person, I've always thought it's not my job to teach people, but if people are going to come to me with respect and, um, you know, the desire to learn, I would love to teach them. I would love to educate them. And so this is an example of filmmakers deciding that they want to like honor culture and educate people outside of that culture. And I think they could do even more, yeah. uh, and, you know, do, do another set or do, um, you know, even if they wanted to do like a set of shorts that featured Miguel yeah. or something for Disney plus, I think all these things, um, you know, because we've got like Sophia the first and Elena and you've got Miguel and you have all these opportunities to do kind of what PBS did in the nineties and educate about a worldview in a non white way, I think would be really, really smart. And I'm glad this won all the awards just at the end of the day. I'm glad it won all the awards. It deserved it. I, you know, no question in my mind. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, it just hits all the marks like besides, besides race or culture or whatever. I mean, it's just a great movie. You know what I mean? It's not even like, Oh, this is a great movie about Mexican American. Or I'm sorry. These are Mexican people. They're not in Mexican, Mexican, America. (laughs) This this is a great movie about Mexico. It's just a great movie. It's a great movie about family and it's not Mm -hmm. a movie Mm -hmm. about Mexican family. It feels so authentic. And I think it's so relatable to, it's very important for people who are Mexican or Latin American mm-hmm. or, or from Latin descent. Or, but it's a great film for everybody to learn from. Right. Not only about the culture, yeah. but just about family and tradition and change and music and friendship and, and all of that and, and good morals. And, like, that's what I love about this movie is mm-hmm. that it's just over time, it's just – it's going to age, I think, forever. And right. It's yes. going to age well and it's going to um, – you're always going to be, be looking back at it and be like, I'm proud that I like that movie still. Like, I don't feel ashamed of, like, yeah. liking that, you <laughs> exactly. know? Um, that's what I love about it. And I, I hope Moana falls into that category too. That's another, like, very powerful <sighs> film. Like, the, the music yeah. is maybe my favorite soundtrack of all time like <laughs> Lynn manuel absolutely killed it oh like love every single song in that movie um and i relate yeah. to that movie so much and like i don't know if you can tell by my voice but i'm i'm not a polynesian girl um so <laughs> <laughs> it's uh it's incredible like just i could watch yeah. it all day we were we were at um epcot two weeks ago last week um and uh there was a, a set of brothers running around run was in an elsa costume and run was in a moana costume and i was just like yes there's so much about this i love <laughs> well, one just these little boys that are like yes i love these characters they're awesome um but especially because they were there was also um a, a non-white family and so seeing I just, I loved Moana as well. I think it was so nice. No, granted, of course, a lot of people are like, well, they cherry picked and blah, blah, blah. And, you know, that's going to happen when you're pulling in, you know, aspects of um, uh, legends together into a story of, uh, that are coming from an indiscriminate, you know, a large area of, of place. Um, But I, I loved Moana as well. And Moana came out like year before this two years before this. And so like it was, it's again, it's in, it was in a a set of arcing films that Disney was putting out that I went, Oh shit. Y'all are doing some good work right now. Thank you. Um, and you know, that's kind of go always go ebb and flow a little bit, but I think there are, you know, just having Lin-Manuel be part of the Disney family now. And he is doing some, like he has put together the most amazing group of Latinx artists in and around New York and LA that are making really amazing art. Um, anybody that hasn't watched the in the Heights trailer, pause me right now, 
go watch it. It's so good. But also just like Lynn, the sensibility that he brought to the Moana soundtrack. And while it sounds like it sounds like his work because he has a very definite sound, it is beautiful. And again, it's one of those that like who hasn't connected with that idea of Moana or Miguel at some point in their life? Um, and it's also, you know, a, a lot of what Bobby and Kristen did for this as well, that like, it's, it's, it's universally accessible, even if you're not from like a Mexican family, like or a Mexican American family, like it is something because family is family and how we connect together in the grand scheme of, of the universe is, really important to keep in mind. And so I think, again, like you all said, that that is one of the most important takeaways from, from this movie. Um, Is there anything, I always like to play this game with my guests and we've kind of already answered this. Is there anything in the plot, anything in the story, just a little bit that you would tweak or something you would have liked to see them, you bring back or do, do a little more in the script? I know there's something that you (laughs) would not like, because we just discussed this last week or two weeks ago. There is. And I don't know how they could really address this, but my take is I find it strange that you in the afterlife, you aren't in your prime. So we see Mama Coco at the very end of the film yeah. as, as bones, very old, uh, decrepit <laughs> old woman. Um, so what, what I'm trying to say is, um, do you feel like the movie is not exactly promoting life because the older you get, you're going to live for all eternity as this old, like, sort of um, like, weak skeleton rather than like, Hector, who <laughs> like is a like, young spry he's like one, yeah. maybe 30, right? Something like that. I, I do think so. There is, um, and they do this <laughs> in the animation where there's a, a sweetness to how they animate Mama Coco as a, as a skeleton. Yeah. And that's my that was my one thing, too, also because Mama Amelda has a very... She probably, I feel like Amelda looked the same from 20 to her death. Uh-huh. Like she just got a little grayer. Yeah. She's got that lovely Stacey London streak of gray. Oh, yes. Um, <laughs> love the reference. I think. <laughs> Sorry, I'm I living. think. No, you're good. I love it. Um, I think. I think what it is is this idea that like with age become like comes respect and becomes wiseness and becomes this authority and a leader of the family. Right. And so I think that they did that to honor the legate, like the honor the life that you lived. And it's so like Hector Hector's a little like shambly, like he's a little little rickety um, and things because like he didn't necessarily make the smartest choices in life and things that he died young, um, not from his own fault. But um, so, you know, I think there is if you notice, there's a little more decorum to the older characters who lived their their full lives versus the ones who are a little kind of rick shambly and and um, well, he also had a lot of unfinished business, too. Like he yeah, didn't even know yeah. his story. He had to learn it exactly through kind of through Miguel's journey too, which yeah. is kind of funny because mm-hmm. Hector was he was in the afterlife, but one didn't know how he got there, didn't fulfill his life on he. There's yep. so many layers to the story; it's so beautiful. <laughs> like I love it so there much. Is. So, um, and 
I, I like, again, I bring up, um, as someone that grew up in a religious home, I like that they found a way to talk about the afterlife outside of any sort of religious context. Mm-hmm, exactly. Because um, I feel like when we talk about the afterlife, it has to be discussed in a religious way, yep. even when you're discussing aspects of like Buddhism and things, which is more of a, a life principle and a life structure versus a religion. Uh-huh. But, um, and despite knowing that like um, it's a heavily Catholic background, um, they they approach it from the uh, the aspects of ritual versus the aspects of religion and ritual, which I think was important. But I I thought the same thing. I was like, wow. So I'm going to get to the afterlife. I'm just going to be some chubby chubby skeleton because I noticed I was like the fat people are still fat skeletons. <laughs> the fuck is that about? I was like, I can't wait. I can't wait to either die or be reincarnated. So maybe I'm not fat the next time around. But <laughs> but um yeah, that was my one thing. I went. They don't know any aspect of life beyond what they actually lived which is freeing in one way but also terrifying in another um so that's my one thing for me i guess too is that like no granted you needed it for the story but like hector found out things in the same way despite um and you know nobody else you know amelda didn't seem to know anything beyond ernesto cruz didn't know anything beyond Um, like you don't even know if you have additional family members, right? Like that, that's the one thing that I thought was a little wild. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's interesting too, because it might not actually be the age that you die at, but maybe the age you're remembered at, because a lot of those pictures oh, that yeah. we see are actually like, you oh. see the uncle and you're like, Oh, that's actually like exactly how they look in the photo. Oh that's yeah. A good point. So maybe Mama Coco oh, yeah. appears that way. Like maybe that's not. Maybe it's like based on your representation of that person, and that's how they appear to them. Yeah, but who knows? Well, yeah, I like that. Well, because yeah, because she's she's technically already on the ofrenda as a baby. Yeah, in the picture with Mama Amelda, but oh, that's not yeah. where they're remembering her. Well, and that's not how they're remembering her. They're remembering her as like this this lovely old woman, right? Who who's always been everywhere. I feel like she's that that family member that y'all go. Mama Coco's still alive. She's been old since I was born. Uh, yeah, um, yeah. And also, but, you know, so I think, go ahead. Sorry. If, uh, I guess if she wasn't that old skeleton at the end, they would pan across and show her and we'd be like, who the heck is that? Yeah, that was I've my, I've never even seen yeah, that person. Yeah. That was going to be my, yeah. my input on it was that like, it's for us. it was basically <laughs> just for the audience yeah. to see that, oh, yeah. she died and, and now she's with her family reunited. And like, no, that's the way that's that we all that recognize her. Yep. Because that was what the yeah, character design was. They don't expect people was. to read into it. Yeah, I know. We, but Sorry, that's yeah. what that's what we do. We overanalyze every single thing. So we just love to do that. Well, and that's you know, as adults that watch film with a <laughs> with a more than just a general glance, you know, because this is also made for like kids to not question anything and okay. and you know uh, you know and so I you know I agree with you, but I, it, that does also make sense because like Miguel sees all of his family as skeletons and knows exactly who everyone is. So you know, I do. I, yeah, I think that is. Unless it's a weird, like, you die and your skeleton ages backwards and you hit a point where you just don't age anymore. I don't know. I, it's going to make my head hurt if I think about it too much, <laughs> frankly. Um, so, um, yeah, we love this film. It's a great film. Everyone should love this film. I've, I've never talked to someone who doesn't like this film. I think the people who I've talked to that don't like it haven't seen it. Right. So (laughs) um, now there has been some speculation since uh, since Shell's podcast 
covers more than just movies. There's been speculation on Coco appearing in the parks. Now, we've had the mariachi. We've had Miguel as the puppets, We've had, which are very cool. But there have been two different rumors going around uh, recently. One, that the Grand Fiesta Tour in the Mexico Pavilion will be getting a Coco overlay, which... I don't know I about mean, you guys. I think it's kind of cool. I love the Caballeros, but... I, I but, think uh, it may, Honestly, I think that... Like, it's good that Disney kind of, like... Unlike Universal Studios, like, they'll change things out so frequently. Oof. Disney's really good <laughs> yeah. at, like, oh, we're keeping the classic. But, no, like, no tea, no shade. That ride at Mexico, nobody's going to miss it if they put Coco in it. Like, people are yeah, going to appreciate true. it more if it's Coco. Like, that yeah. Cal- Caballeros, like... That's like nobody's favorite Disney movie. Like, let's, you know what I mean. It's so it's, cute, it's but like, yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah, we yeah. love we love yeah, Donald, was, but like, there's plenty of Donald in the park. Like, we'd rather see Miguel in in Miguel, um, in Hector and like all those characters right. and Dante. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sorry. Yeah, I, I, you know, I, I. I agree, though I do love the Caballeros. I think there is a lot of other shelf life for them, and a lot of different ways that Disney can utilize them. Um, but yeah, I love. I love the idea of the cocoa overlay, though I do wonder if they're going to be able to get kind of the grandeur and the giant aspects of the film in yeah. many ways. Because um, we know how Disney treats overlays and kind of rehashing. Um, I'm not sure they're going to put a ton of money into it, but um, but then you I, look I at like cool. um, Frozen Ever After, and that's actually oh, yeah. that's done really well, and it's given yep. the space that they had for the ride in Norway. Yeah. Um, yeah. And there's like a fine line between like updating these rides to be current films and then also maintaining these beloved historic, like mm-hmm. maybe that's not one of them, but you don't want to see certain things go. Like the great movie ride is one of those that I'm like, Oh, like, you know, a lot of those things, mm-hmm. maybe younger mm-hmm. audiences don't care about now, but it's still like, it takes me back. Yeah. RIP Muggsy. Yeah, <laughs> no, I see. Yeah, we we say that, and literally, making the Mickey's Runaway Train opens this Wednesday. I'll yeah. tell you guys how it is. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, 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 I, I, yeah, no, I, I agree with you there. Now, if we could get a frozen, if we could get a cocoa overlay that's of the quality of the frozen overlay, I yep. think it'd be pretty good. Yeah, definitely. And like, I think it's beautiful because that ride is it's like in the middle of like a restaurant. Like there's like that mm-hmm. restaurant that's like connected and I feel like it's like, oh, you're having a great like authentic Mexican male in Disney World for like the thing <laughs> about like Disney World, like Disney's great because like you go there and if you don't, you don't, aren't exposed to culture. Like they have people that are from those countries cooking and yep. like mm-hmm. they try to keep things mm-hmm. authentic and like I just feel like Coco was a very authentic Mexican film yeah. to put that with yeah. like in Epcot. I think it's a little bit more authentic than having like white Donald Duck like appropriating cul- yeah. like Mexican culture. And like in my opinion, it's just like Donald Duck is just so American that I'm like, yeah, uh, it's, I think it's just, will suit it better. I think it will just be more seamless. Yep. Yeah. Now, you know, it did, it, I get why in the 1940s when Caballeros came out that they put Donald with the other two. Um, yes, of course. At the time but, um, that was probably At the time. At the yeah. time. Um, well, <laughs> so I mean, and that was back when Disney was doing the, uh, the duo movies during the wartime. So they were doing the two short movies and putting them in one. Yeah. Um, and, uh, but yeah, it's, uh, I think now this is another broad rumor. Again, we know how the rumors are. 
I know nothing about this, but there's a possibility of a temporary Halloween overlay of Haunted Mansion with Coco. What are your thoughts of that? So it would be like Uh, a day of For Disney World. It's, yeah, so think about the Nightmare Before Christmas that Disneyland has, but it would be Disney World getting Coco just for the Halloween month, so August, um, November. I mean, I think, wow. it's, yeah. I think that would be amazing because, like, you can go see Haunted Mansion anytime. They're not going to change it. It's a classic. Like, they're not going to change it. But to be able to go – like, I've been to Disney World a million times and I've seen mm-hmm. – I've been on the Haunted Mansion 10 million times. So, like – I would love to go and experience it with something different and it gives you a reason yeah. to go and see something. So I think in that mm-hmm. case, there would definitely be less pushback. For I that, think they could sure. do it, but I don't know if it has the right vibe. Like mm-hmm. it's, it's a very bright, um, like I don't the haunted. It's I don't yeah. consider Coco like a haunted, like the, no. those ghosts aren't yeah. bad. Ghosts, yeah. Right. I, that I, yeah, no, no, no. They're not. Well, uh, there's lots of stories of the 999 ghosts. Many are nefarious. But, yeah, that's where I agree with you there is that, like, I'm not sure the tone of Haunted Mansion mounts Coco. Yeah. Coco. I'm just picturing coming around a corner going into a room that's, like, bright orange. And I'm like, what? (laughs) (laughs) I think I would just have to see what it would look like. And then I'd make my decision. But I like the... Yeah. concept if they can del- if they could execute it really good if it's just kind of like oh we're gonna just like put a sticker on the wall and like maybe change <laughs> some of the renders then no like i think yeah. it would have to be like a full but then do they have the money or the i mean they have the money but do they have the time to get that done and like right well and that's that's my question is we're approaching the 50th anniversary of magic kingdom next year is this is that the best use of time and money yeah. and funds currently priority. Um, is it i mean Jungle Cruise sprang a leak and sank this week, and the people mover crashed into each other two days, one right after the other. Oh. So I think, um, yeah, I, you know, I don't know. And again, that is just super spectacular, uh, you know, speculation, speculative rumors. I would love for them to never touch Haunted Mansion, just I keep updating that. it. But um, yeah. um, though, where is my fucking hatbox ghost? I need a goddamn hatbox <laughs> ghost at Disney World. I, fi- I went to Disneyland for the first time last year, and I was like, oh there he is i've never seen him before nice to see you bud (laughs) and there's a big spot for him there is a big pile of hat boxes uh as you right before you go down to the courtyard that would be perfect uh for to pull a hat box ghost in but what what do i know um yeah so i just are you know i also i would love um a Coco attraction, like a yeah. from scratch Coco attraction, yep. I think would be really, really cool because you could do a little bit of a thrill ridey. You could do kind of like they've done with um, Rise of the Resistance or, you know, Mind Train, where you combine aspects of a dark ride with a thrill ride mm-hmm. that are still family friendly that I think could be could be quite cool. My thing is, do we think Coco is going to have like I feel like for them to make an attraction or something that big, mm-hmm. there would have to be some sort of sequel or spin-off or something to keep that current. Cause like Avatar, very big investment. There are what, four more movies plans for that mm-hmm. whenever we get those. Mm-hmm. And, and like Still Star waiting. Wars is like um, timeless. So like, yeah. And that's like, that makes sense too. And also like Toy Story, mm-hmm. they're, they're mm-hmm. not wrapping up anytime soon. Like no. let's be real. So yeah. Yeah, yeah. I think yeah. Coco is kind of like a standalone, so I feel like it's mm-hmm. its place in like the theme parks will probably be just taking over the Caballeros and 
That'll be I, it. I can see something like Frozen getting its own big ride, like roller coaster type ride over Coco because of right. upcoming films. Yeah. And the commercial, right. well, the commercial also, success of it. Yeah. yeah. Well, then you've got Frozen is also two different international parks are getting Arendelle. They're getting oh, a wow. full sure. Frozen expansion. Oh, wow. So um, I believe Tokyo and Paris. I believe that sounds about right. I'm a little rusty. Yeah. Um, I definitely think it is Tokyo, Disneyland Tokyo. They're, Cause the they're getting the, yeah. yeah, it's the fantasy land expansion that they're getting, uh, I believe, but they're closed currently because of the coronavirus. So here we are. Oh. Um, Oh, yeah, they, they finally shut down Disneyland Tokyo, I believe, for two weeks. They're shutting it down. But Hong Kong and Shanghai have been closed for the better part of two months, month uh-huh. and a half. So, yeah, it's a scary little time. But um, I would, again, I think Coco could do a sequel. Pixar loves its sequels. Mm-hmm. Um but I do, I think because there's already like a little bit of a, there's displays in the Mexico pavilion um, that incorporate the idea of Dia de los Muertos and the ofrendas um, in an aspect of actual culture with Coco, that I think if they continued that, having an attraction about it would make sense mm-hmm. in, as as like a little boat ride. I think a little boat would be, would be lovely. Mm-hmm. Um, um. So, Maddie, I have a question for you. So, as more yeah. of like the parks expert, we kind of more mm-hmm. about movies and carriages in our podcast. Yeah. We don't live close to like Orlando or California to go to the parks all the time. <laughs> We're not that lucky. So, yeah. as more of the parks expert, do you do you find that either guests or cast members or just people in general, do they hate or dislike the kind of character overlays of these like cultural areas in Epcot? Or are they more for them or open or because i know like mary poppins is coming to the uk and stuff like that so Ooh, yes i'm super excited so again the uh, a lot of people are split obviously okay. because it is that di- idea of uh, kind of an american-based white company even though telling wonderful stories like coco yeah. like frozen doesn't really take place in norway yeah. um you know so yeah. but you know the norwegian kids probably don't care too much most of them seem unbothered most of the beautiful beautiful norwegian pe- people they bring over um <laughs> you know it's uh, it's that idea of like i always feel like when i go in the china pavilion and i see the like Oriental Trading Company, like, fans and things that you can buy there. Yeah. What, what must it be like anyway for those people to come from their country as ambassadors? It is an ambassador position to sell, you know, shitty trinkets to white tourists. Um, yeah, yeah. You know, it's it's one of those things. I, a lot of people also just want rides to be left alone. Um, but you have people like me where I go, uh, if an old ride isn't working or it needs a little life, let's update it within reason. Right. Um, I feel with you the, know, I'm the same school of thought of that as that too. Like yeah. some things like are classic and should it be touched. And then there's some things that they can go like it's, they're not really putting any butts in seats, you know, like the three cal- I keep crapping on that ride, but I'm like, it's not like a well, top 10 attraction. They also don't advertise. They also don't advertise it at all. Like yeah. you, yeah. I went, I, it was, I was, I did a college program in 2013 and it was halfway through my college program before I knew there was a ride in there yeah. or in the Norway pavilion mm-hmm. or in the, the Epcot ball. I had no idea there were rides in any of these things. Right. And I'd been to Disney twice at that point. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, I don't, you know, I have, you know, people have been talking about a Tangled, uh, Tangled taking over uh, It's a Small World and getting rid of It's a Small World. And I 
as annoying as it is, I <laughs> exactly. love it's a small world. It's and part of it. Just, I yeah. love I love the Disneyland It's a Small World for getting the characters throughout. I think it's very cute. Yes. I would love to see an update of the Disney World one. Um, I think I do think Tangled should have its own attraction more than a couple of stinky bathrooms and a photo pass spot. And right. A small, um, small tower off in the distance. That is like um, the worst. I'm sorry. That's like that movie gets dragged for that. Like don't even just don't include it. Like why is it just have a bathroom? Like that's the worst attraction <laughs> for such a good movie. That was my favorite part of Tangled when they go to the bathroom. Yeah, that is a really good part. <laughs> <laughs> you I know, like, I mean and I, I get like it when they, when they were <laughs> when they were expanding the New Fantasyland, when they were building New Fantasyland and they needed Rapunzel wasn't there at all, but she was a huge part of what people were coming to the parks for. Because yeah. um, it was just after her movie came out. Um but, you know, I think I would love to see another Fantasyland expansion that's got some Princess and the Frog things, that's yes. got Tangled. I yep. would love I would love to get the Beauty and the Beast ride that Tokyo is getting for their new Fantasyland. Um, yeah. You know, there are just little things that every time I think they'll, they'll open an attraction. But I was like, the Beauty and the Beast aspects of new Fantasyland are flat for me now. Uh, almost 10 years after they've opened. Uh, it's a little, yeah. About 10 years, almost 10 years since they've opened. But like Enchanted Tales with Belle is great. It's so much fun. But it's a long experience without a high guest pass-through. Mm-hmm. So you end up waiting in line quite a long time for it. And there's no... And, you know, Be Our Guest is a lovely uh, experience, but, like, the meal isn't quantifiable to the money that you spend for dinner. Mm-hmm. Now, this is for everybody. Do the quick service lunch. I love the quick service lunch at Be Our Guest. It's lovely. It's quick. It's cheap in Disney money. Um, but then to, like, just shove the Little Mermaid attraction over there, it seemed mm-hmm. it seems sometimes like when they do expansions, they do them and they lose money and, like, steam halfway through. And so things will change quickly, which, you know, uh, I can't pretend that I understand how the parks work in the grand scheme of a business aspect. But, um, you know, just every time they go, oh, these things are coming and then we get them and I go, "Mm, well, that's fun. That was cute. Um, But then you go, but then we get Galaxy's Edge, which is one of the greatest experiences I've ever had in person ever. It's so brilliant Mm -hmm. Um, and does that does that amazing non-verbal world building like we talked about in Coco the world building is so rich and vibrant and they don't have to tell you anything about it yep. in order for you to understand life and they did the same thing with Galaxy's Edge they you know they did release a book and a comic series about it but if you haven't read them and you haven't seen a single Star Wars movie you yep. you can go and love your whole time there my friend JJ uh, who works at Disney is not a Star Wars person and it's one of his favorite things he's ever experienced Mm -hmm. um and to me he's one of the most knowledgeable people i know about the parks like just from an aspect of disney history and he loves it and and so i think it's one of those things that if they keep doing that kind of richness and not rushing things and again i know we there's only so many things they can do but we're now at such high attendance of parks that like i don't want to wait 45 minutes for philhar magic i don't want to (laughs) wait Yeah. I, I will not wait 120 minutes for Haunted Mansion or, or, or Pirates of the Caribbean yeah. or Peter Pan. Mm-hmm. Um, but I will say when I went to Disneyland for the first time last year, I loved the old rides. The day, the, you know, some of those old, old rides like Mr. Toad, Snow White, Alice in Wonderland, yeah. um, Pinocchio. I loved those. Those were great. They were short, but like they were so much fun. 
to do. And we don't have a ton of those left. Um, so, and I know they're two very different parks, but for me, um, sorry, I am tangent. Uh, but, uh, but yeah, no, I think, I think you're always going to have people that are split. There are people who are like, never touch anything. Just keep, putting a fresh coat of paint on it and keeping it as it is, which to me is not logical for how entertainment works. Um, Because at one point, Disney as a brand did want to close the film division and animation division and just focus on parks. But then you become a museum because you have nothing new to base anything on. And so I do think the updates are important. I think the fact that we're getting a Tron coaster 12 years after the last movie, it's going to be flipping cool. I can't wait. But like... You know, Tron was the first, you know, it's Disney doing science fiction for the first time, that in Black Hole. But, like, Tron kind of got it right. And so I think those are those important things that I'm glad we have um, that Disney can keep calling back to. Or we can, you know, they can make a Beauty and the Beast dark ride, you know, 30 years after the movie comes out. And it's fine. Nobody cares. Because it's still Beauty and the Beast. Um, So I think change is inevitable and change is necessary um, at the parks specifically, especially if you're paying $150 a day with no park hopper. I want to get some shit out of it. So like, you know, it's, it's a give and take thing. It's a give and take thing for me. So it's like a, we just went full circle because I feel like that's almost the story of, uh, of Coco, like tradition versus change. So, and like, that's just like, that's the whole thing. It's like, there are traditions that we carry on and then there are some things that we leave in our past and then we have to make room for mm-hmm. new things and new traditions. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And, and I think holding on to holding on to the magic of what was before, but it's like anytime Disney does something, you know, well, Walt would turn in his grave. And I was like, you guys have to remember Walt was first and foremost a businessman and a dreamer, but like the money was important. He, we went broke three times in his life because he made such big gambles with his money mm-hmm, for right. these visions. But like, he was also about making money. Like there was a time that most, you know, most people don't remember that you paid to get into Disneyland and then you paid per attraction. Like you had to wow. have, you know, a, a, B, C, D, E tickets, um, which is, um, which is why now they still use the phrase e-ticket attraction because they would have been things that would have cost the most expensive ticket. The, the and they were the big, you know, the most in-depth rides, which we are now taking to a new extreme with things like Rise of the Resistance, which is worth getting up at five in the morning to go oh, stand wow. in line at the parks for it's oh, it's it's it. so weird that i can't yeah. talk about it enough yes you guys should come visit and we'll do it it'll be fun <laughs> it's <laughs> just a long that. time yeah um i was there but, in october you know, there, and it wasn't open yet so i'm super bummed oh out, yeah, yeah yeah i haven't been got to see everything um, else though yeah. i haven't been but you know it's years. it's Oh, really? It sounds like you guys getting caught. Uh, um, <laughs> Twister, you know, it's, you know, it's just so easy to just come, you know, drop some money and come to Disney. I know. Um, <laughs> I just, I just helped two friends plan their honeymoon and they had never been before. Oh. And so kind of walking them through and I was like, the money is going to be a ticket shock. But like, if you get past it and look at what you're getting when you're getting the tickets and the resort and the meal plan and the experience, like, mm-hmm. You know, it's, it's one of those things that, like, it, it is shocking, but the magic that you'll get from the experience is truly yeah. amazing, which is why I was so eager to come back and work for the company again um, and kind of be part of that magic because there's – I just – I can't explain it. And, like, to me, the feelings I get watching Coco and experiencing it are the same feelings that I get when I go to the parks and I get to experience these things live, which is why I do think uh, Coco Overlay on Grand uh, Fiesta Tour would be really cool. Yep. I agree. 
agree. Great. Well, any last thoughts, guys? This has been absolutely awesome having you on today. Yeah, thank you for having us. I I can't think of anything. Oh, no, I feel like we covered everything. So why don't you tell our folks at home where they can find you all and a little bit more about your podcast? So you can find us um, anywhere you listen to your podcast. So we're on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Overcast, um, you know, all the major ones. Uh, just search Pod of Your World. Um, you on can Stitcher now, too. Or in Stitcher as well. You can also yes, find, find us uh, at Google Podcast. I mean, all, like I said, wherever podcasts are, are found, we're there. Um, you can find us on social media at uh, Pod of Your World. Um, we're very active on Instagram. We're doing a lot of things on social as well as the podcast. Um, we'd really love to engage with our community and like who's out there, like Disney fans, like. Uh, so, I mean, follow us. We, we're doing a bunch of different things. Yep. Um, yeah, we have a lot of uh, free content yes. on the way, a lot of surprises. So a lot to look forward to there. Yeah. Uh, yeah. That's like, super exciting. Kurt's a musician. Um, I'm a graphic artist. So we kind of like to share, like use our talents to embrace our love for Disney um, and more lately with the podcast. So mm-hmm. um, so we share some of that with our, our community. But our podcast is basically the st- – two guys who just love Disney and we like to overanalyze every single thing. Um, we have a bunch of games and segments we like to play on the podcast. Yeah, a big part of our show has become this trivia segment called Name That Scene where we play audio clips and Rob, we usually bring a guest on, Rob competes against a guest and mm-hmm. they have to name the character and the movie the character's from and uh, Rob has a pretty good record. Yeah, I'm the queen of Name That Scene. <laughs> he's, he's the queen. The queen of Name That Scene. Yes. Um, so, I mean, if you want to, co- I'm afraid of Maddie though, but if you want to come and challenge <laughs> the queen, you are welcome anytime yes. to come on. Oh, it's on. Oh, bitch, it's on. Okay. <laughs> All right. Come for the queen. Yeah. Uh, yeah. That's like something that we, um, we really love doing is, is, you know, just testing our Disney knowledge, you know, puffing our chest and, you know, it's just all in good fun. I mean, yeah, exactly. Yeah. We love that. So, well, guys, thanks so much. It has been an absolute blast having you on. Yes. Yeah, it thank was you so great much being on and getting to chat with you. And we love talking to Disney fans and especially talking about Coco. Like that's just such a, it's the best. Yeah. Yeah. Often, like often we talk about things on our podcast that we don't like or like things that are <laughs> like we'll read um, like sequels or like old straight to D- DVD things that are just yeah, not yes. great. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, some of that on there as well. But today we got to talk about, talk about a good movie, yeah. a good movie. Yeah. So it's refreshing. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Hello, you wonderful human being. How do I know you're a wonderful human being? Well, if you're hearing this message, it means you're listening to a certain POV podcast, and that makes you awesome. Thanks for your support. This is Pat Edwards from the Let's Rewatch podcast. And for those of you who don't know me, I'm an author. My latest project is a new 5th edition D&D campaign book called The Red Opera. Inspired from the musical album and stage show of the same name, The Red Opera sends you on a twisting saga through dark and dangerous city teeming with intrigue, magic, death, and betrayal, and warlocks. This book is lousy with warlocks and all the mischief that comes with them. (laughs) So here's what I need from you, you delightful slice of podcast listener cake. Go to the pre-launch page on Kickstarter and simply enter your email to follow the project. You're not committing to anything. 
just saying you'd like an email notification when the Kickstarter goes live. And then you can browse the truly outstanding reward tiers we've added to decide if you'd like to support the project. To find the pre-launch page, you can either go to theredopera.com or if you go to my Twitter handle at thepatedwards, my current pinned tweet has a link. Again, thank you so much, you beautiful spoonful of human sugar. Love, Pat. Thanks for joining us for another episode of the Dole Whip and Dreams podcast. June is Pride Month, and we have a very special collection of Pride merchandise in our Teespring store. These items reflect many of the flags and colors under the fabulous LGBTQIA umbrella, and 100% of sales for June, July, and August will be donated to the Aliforni Center in New York, the Center for Transgender Equality, and the Okra Project, which is a collective that seeks to address the global crisis Black trans people are facing today. And don't forget to use Dole Whip at checkout for free shipping on all orders. The Pride items are only available through the end of August, so you get them now before they are sold out. You can also find a link to our website, Dole Whip and Dreams Pod, to donate to us directly, and those donations will go towards these groups. You can find out more about our show as well as all the amazing programming we have at certainpov.com. Engage with other dreamers like yourself and continue the conversation from today's episode online at Facebook at Dole Whip and Dreams Pod, Instagram at Dole Whip and Dreams, Twitter at Dole Whip Pod, and on the Certain POV Discord. You can find that link on the website. Thanks, as always, to the Dolp and Dreams crew of David White, who is our sound engineer and editor, our research assistant, Angela Gwynn, and Brett Eagleston from the Let's Rewatch podcast for the music in today's episodes. Don't forget, COVID-19 is still ravaging the world, so don't forget to wash your hands and wear your mask. Now, may your days be filled with Dole Whip and Dreams. CPOV. CertainPOV.com.